to Midlife Moxie. We are a community and podcast all about midlife women making this one of the best seasons of their lives. Well, I'm one of your hosts, Gail. And I'm Christina. We're going to be sharing our stories, struggles, and joys while bringing you experts on topics that you care about. And we're going to do it while having a whole lot of fun. So buckle up, girls. Let's get our Moxie on. Welcome to another episode of Midlife Moxie. I'm your co-host, Gail. And I'm Christina. And we are so excited about today's episode. Do we say that every time, Christina? I think I'm excited yeah, every time. We, we really do, Gail. It's like, this is our favorite episode. No, no, this is our favorite episode. But really, every episode is just so darn good. It's like my shoe collection. I love you all. <laughs> But this episode, we may not have as many jokes to crack. There's still going to be some. We're still going to be us. But we are going to be talking about a little bit more serious topic today. Not that vaginal dryness or vaginal dryness is not serious, but we're going to be talking about some mental health today. Right, Christina? Yeah, we are. Because it's a real it's a real thing, especially as we get older. I think there's a, a lot more anxieties, at least for me, that I've noticed as, I, um, as I've gotten older. Well, you snuck in and said the word. The word is anxiety. Mm -hmm. And I think this is an episode that every person needs to hear because I see people get slapped in the head by anxiety. They didn't know what it was and they didn't see it coming. And so I've become a big advocate of knowing about mental illness and treating mental health preemptively. And let's let's be healthy, not just you know, get help when we're in the mental ICU or whatever you want to call it. So I want to welcome our special guest today. She's a sweet friend of mine. And in full disclosure, she's my therapist. So for whatever that's worth, just if anybody wants to know, Um, she's a licensed clinical social worker, psychotherapist, a mom of two little sweet boys, a Georgia, oh, three. I'm so sorry. Why did I get that wrong? A Georgia Bulldog fan. Go dogs. And, um, Liz here in Greenville with me. So welcome to the show, Liz Watley. Hi, Liz. Hey, Gail. Thank you so much for having me. And Christine also. Thank you. Thank yes. you. Thank you. Well, you know, I just can't wait to dive into this conversation because I've been on a crusade because I have a personal story involving anxiety. And I'm going to weave that in today. I don't want to bore anyone with any details they don't want to know, but I... I do want to share the parts of my story that help other people, and we're hoping this show will help another people. So, Liz, <clears throat> right out of the gate, would you tell, you know, explain to the listeners, I mean, everybody gets anxious from time to time, and everybody gets stressed from time to time, or nervous from time to time, but then there's true, um, there's, you know, acute anxiety, and there's, oh, what's the, um anxiety disorder and I am so sorry I turned my phone off I don't know why it's ringing so kind of explain the differences in those terms for us and yes let's go there thank you Gail it's an important um, distinction because one of the things that I've noticed is that um, our society we use these clinical words like I feel anxious, or I have anxiety, or I'm a little OCD, 
or I'm just depressed today. These are clinical terms that we use in regular conversation. Yes. And I think that's part of where the confusion really gets in with people is because, like you said, everybody gets anxious. Everybody gets a little nervous. Everybody feels blue or sad. This is the ups and downs of being a human, right? And and part of being a human and in this life that we're living is to experience the full rainbow of emotion. You know, nervousness, irritation, that's certainly an emotion. Now, when we're talking about um, an anxiety disorder, we're talking about something that has more of a negative impact in your life. So that is what I'm always looking at. Not hey, I was nervous today. Okay, how does it interrupt in your life physically? How is it interrupting your thoughts? Is it having an effect on your relationship? Is it having an effect on your health? Is it having an effect at work? Are you losing time that you'd wish to be doing something else, you know, in this state of nervousness or restlessness? The answer is yes to a lot of those then we're talking about much more of a what we call clinically significant. And you're getting more into, I'm going to use the word disorder, um, although it's not my favorite word. Mm-hmm. It's what my, my occupation labels it as, right? It's, it's a disorder. But we're looking more into place where we deserve to feel better than that. And it's time to seek some outside support with that. So, so those Liz, are things that are more of a diagnosis. Maybe we could say and, that. Correct. Thank and, you. And yeah. Liz, would it be safe to say that some phobias manifest into anxiety disorders like claustrophobia? Okay. So one thing that I want to make clear here. So imagine an umbrella. I, you all can't see me, I know, but I, I mean, I'm always using my hands when I talk. So my hands are kind of in this place of an umbrella and underneath that umbrella you'll see all these like lines coming out of it or this, um, you know, from that umbrella, these spokes, whatever, use your imagination. So if you imagine anxiety disorders is the umbrella, right? So when we're talking about diagnoses, it's like the different flavors of anxiety. Mm. So you have one flavor of anxiety is an obsessive compulsive. One flavor of anxiety is phobias. One flavor is PTSD, which is post-traumatic stress disorder. One flavor is going to be generalized. One flavor is going to be panic attack. Now, those of us who are very lucky, that's my sarcasm, we may get a couple of flavors mixed in there, right? Yippee, yay. Oh, yay. Life is not so black and white in in its categories. But I I hope that answers your question, Christina. Yes. Yes, phobias are an anxiety disorder. If that makes okay. sense, that's well, the so well, I think this this was a great explanation because I know for for a lot of people and even you know younger generations, I've I've noticed that they throw these words around anxiety, OCD, PTSD, and I'm thinking, okay, wait a minute, like let's get clarity on what you guys are talking about, and this really brought forth clarity. So I hope that our audience felt like they could enter into a foundation of understanding, because I think if you have the understanding, you can go a little bit deeper and figure out, okay, what's my next step? What's the, where do we go from here? You know? So thank you for doing that. Gail, I know you were going to pop in and ask a question. Yeah, I want to ask a few just um, kind of overarching questions to kind of set the stage. So um, how many Americans, let's start with Americans, if you've got that number, 
what percentage of Americans struggle with a significant anxiety issue disorder diagnosis um, on average? You know what? I don't have that exact number. Um, I think the last time I looked at it, and please, if you know, do your own research. It's constantly changing. I think the last time I looked at it, it was somewhere between 40 and 60%. That Wow. And one of the things I want to make sure that I'm clear on um, when it comes to research, I'm so grateful for the research and the numbers that we have, because that's what is propelling science and you know making the powers that be more aware of that we need more resources, we need more assistance here. Having said that, we always have to take this with a grain of salt, that a lot of the times this is who's reporting it, right? And so, for instance, mm. when I was reading up on this and I'm seeing that women are, let's, I think the number was 20% more likely to experience anxieties. Oh, that was my next question. Say that again. 20% more likely than men right. to suffer from a diagnosable anxiety. Do issue. they have an understanding of why? Um, first, let me rewind a little bit, if you don't mind, Christina, and say, yeah, I please. cannot help but to put an asterisk by that, though. Um, you know, when our highest number of um, people who unfortunately choose to take their life are men, and, um, and with statistics mm-hmm. remain that way, when we have the highest level of aggression, um, physical acts of violence that come from men statistically, you know, is it accurate these reports or are because of this gender difference are women more likely to express themselves define themselves as anxious whereas women are less likely to find themselves as angry and men are more likely to define themselves as angry and less likely to define themselves as anxious so there's a big gender difference i will speak to why that may be as long as the audience is clear that there is nothing that is a hundred percent and there's no, they're male, female, we are all one and we all have different uh, genetics, different stressors that lead to these types of emotions that can get well, dysregulated. This- Liz, I always and and I think you're going to go here, but I always talk about at least with our with our community, you know, we're looking at a bell curve. Okay, so the majority of them are in this bell curve, but there are your anomalies that are outside of it. But the golden rule is like let's just look at what's in the bell curve. I mean, the medical medical professionals do this all the time, even with like thyroid testing and things of that nature. So I I love that you laid that out. So tell us a little bit more about that. Okay. Well, I I will speak to you if you'd like for me to about women in general in that. Yes. Yes. So there, there are unique circumstances to both genders. And that's what I think is, and I can be a real advocate for men and the stressors that they have as well. And what are those unique circumstances? I mean, I'm looking and hearing from the two of you, and I know our audience can list it off, right? These are the circumstances. And the let's start with physical. And please know I'm not a medical doctor, so I'm not going to, you know, have my specialty in biology. But if you've ever heard the terms perimenopausal, menopausal, you know, it 
it's a no-brainer. We are that quite familiar that here on the Mid Democracy aware, Podcast. I right, I hope so. Mm-hmm. Right, that's a. It's one of the primary things of midlife women is that we experience this dramatic drop in estrogen, this dramatic drop in mm-hmm. progesterone. Progesterone? Am I saying that correctly? How do you, thank you. Progesterone. Yeah. Um, and our chemistry really responds to that. And we respond to that. Some of us respond if we're not menopausal yet, we respond to that cyclically, right? So right before our cycle begins, the estrogen really drops. And a lot of the ways the brain interprets that is in a high level of anxiety that we feel in our body. Mm. Okay. So let's, let's talk about that a little bit because we know you're not a medical doctor, but what what is that link between the hormones? Is it that the anxiety becomes more pre? Is it that we suddenly develop anxiety? The anxiety becomes more present. We become more aware of it. It becomes heightened. What what actually is going on there in relation to midlife women? Beyond physical, is that what you're asking me? Well, I mean, both, how does that physical, because like we learned recently that the reason we feel so warm with hot flashes is that those hormones actually cause the um, temperature regulation part of our brain to not work properly. So like, what do the hormones, like what is really going on anatomically and emotionally? Is it, let me just back up and say this, is it physiological or is it the stress that those hormones are putting on us and that menopause and bleeding down our leg and all those things. What, how does this, it's, how you does know, that work? How does it all right, work together? It all works together. <laughs> and if you knew that you wouldn't be sitting here podcasting with I us. I certainly would be, Gail. I'd do anything for you. Um, you know, I think that in Aww. general, it, there's not one specific answer. And whenever we limit ourselves to one answer, then I think we are um, not serving ourselves or anyone else. But what I don't know, to be honest, uh, you know, I don't know exactly what does this hormone do and how does it affect. I just know my own psychiatrist has said to me, Liz, when you get to this point in your cycle, your estrogen is completely depleted and your system may require more additional support to maintain this equilibrium, right? So if we say, well, what came first? Is it the hormones? We need to, I don't know. But I know that for the most of us, that's where we are and what we're coping with when it comes to our bodies. One more thing I'd like to say about the body is the body and the brain being connected so significantly. So for instance, if we're having a hot flash, you know, maybe our heart rate starts to increase some way because we're hot and maybe we feel uncomfortable. And so our our heart rate starts to beat faster. The heart Mm -hmm. rate beating faster Mm -hmm. sends a message to the brain that says, I am not safe. And when the brain thinks Mm -hmm. I'm not safe, the brain begins all these other thoughts, right? Well, now we're constricting the breath. And now the body's not getting what it needs in terms of oxygen and blood flow, which is just reiterating to the brain, we're not safe. So see what comes first. We, you know, I certainly don't know. There may be people who know, but our our reactions to those chemical imbalances, those hormonal imbalances create physical sensations that then our body is trying to make sense of and our brain and our thoughts jump in and it can begin to explode from there. Oh gosh, that's so true. When I start to hot flash, I start to panic. 
Um, and my, I'm like trying to rip my clothes off or trying to turn on fans. Well, it's like your body saying red alert, red alert. Yeah. Yeah. You just, you're in this heightened state and I'm just like, everybody get out of the way. And then let, like, let somebody walk in the room and say something we we're not right. down with. And to oh. be honest, Christina, that's probably <laughs> that's, the that's best like, because yeah. you're, you're, you're acting on yeah. and you're speaking to what I'm physically experiencing right now. Whereas, you know, anxiety that may get, um, I like to think of molded bread for some reason, you know, if bread is sitting out in the open, I know to go put it up and, you know, make it the appropriate place. If for some reason, and I have three boys, bread ends up under my couch and I haven't paid attention to it in a couple of days, it has a likelihood of molding over, right? And becoming just sort of icky and gross. So mm. by saying out loud, this is how I'm feeling, right? It has a way of putting it out there <laughs> where people, you know, we see it, they see it. It's not going to get moldy. It's okay. But, but Liz, we need people to act. Let's just be clear. We need to turn, <laughs> turn that it freaking down. air down, start fanning us. You know, oh you put gosh. on a sweatshirt. So, okay. <clears throat> I have heard, and guys, excuse me, I'm still getting over this head cold, but I have heard read, you know, absorbed that sometimes in midlife when menopause comes on that any underlying mental illness, mental issue can be exacerbated. Have you seen that true in your practice, that this is a season where it kind of rears its ugly head in yes, a new way? Yes, I would say that's absolutely true. And, you know, in regards to when do, does mental health, um, and again, this is diagnosable, you know, mental health, when does it peak? You know, if typically around late teens, early 20s, as soon as the brain's finished developing, excuse me, not peak, when does it present? That's when it's typically going to be presented. The difference is, is how much is it negatively affecting our lives? I don't know about y'all, but at 18, 19, 20, I had significantly less responsibility. <laughs> I had significantly less pressures yeah. in life, whatever, than I do now in my 40s. And so, Yes, I see more people, Gail, in my practice um, where it's highlighted so much more during that age frame. And I think it's because of a lot of things, physical things which we've addressed. Also, the amount of responsibility that midlife women have on them and what they're accountable for. Yeah, I could I can see that because you know, um Honestly, just the more and more I start to go into empty nesting and, you know, being that sandwich generation for myself, I notice that there's I, I that there's just a little bit more pressure that we put on ourselves to get things done. Um and and for some reason in midlife I thought I would have more time and it feels like I I'm I'm like releasing here and then taking on something else. So it's like this this trade-off that is happening. So, you know, I love that you talked about, you know, how this manifests and, you know, why it's brought about. So, you know, some of us ha do yeah. have more time and less time. For me, when my anxiety came to its complete head, really did not have anything to do with time. 
it had to do with a season where I experienced some significant traumas. And I did not realize the impact of those traumas until it just ran completely off the rails. And um, just a little background, we had a season in about 15 months where we buried two parents. We moved out of state twice, but a child in a significant rollover car accident just prior to that, we had another child in a very significant car accident, and um, then we were in a situation where we were in a, I don't even know what you call it, a significant weather situation involving a tornado two different times, like in a situation where the alarms are going off and you're out in it and you don't know what to do. And we're talking about like one of them was in Oklahoma. So everybody, you know, mm. I mean, they make movies about mm-hmm. tornadoes in Oklahoma, you know, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and I've never liked storms. I've always had a little storm anxiety, but when I walked into Liz's office, just completely broken, I told her, I, I feel like my jar of handle it has run out. I, I yeah. just, I'm one to handle a yeah. crisis. I'm one to handle my mother's cancer, my son's accident. I'm a take charge, like you said, Christine, take charge, mm-hmm. get it done kind yep. of girl. Always yep. have been. Yep. I'm the one yep. that comes in there and makes all the arrangements and gets everything organized. And I just could not put two thoughts together. And Well, there has to be a breaking point, right? Like, yeah. So for me, I'm just saying it wasn't even about time and feeling the stress of time. So I think a lot of things can bring this on. Like you have that burning it at both ends. I had these Mm -hmm. traumas that were piling up and I wasn't really acknowledging how traumatic they really were back to back to back to back to back because each one did not feel, you know, life-threateningly traumatic. But boy, when they added up. So Liz, will you talk about those scenarios a little bit like... Where do you see when people roll in, broken, tearful? I was very frightened. I honestly thought when I got to your office, you were going to Baker Act me into the hospital. <laughs> that I was, I had lost. I really thought I had gone crazy. And I'm sharing this because right. I know I'm not the only one. And I really thought, oh, it it happened. I just went crazy. I just, the, the thing happened, whatever. Because we use that term with people, you know, they went crazy. You know, I thought, well, it's just finally happened. Gail's fun crazy has turned into <laughs> diagnosable crazy. But we talk a little bit like that, how, you know, what you see impacting women, especially, and how this may present. Because I realized after I saw treatment and you told me, no, you're not crazy. You, you have anxiety and you've, You've definitely been through some dis- some PTSD situation there. And when I started to look back, I could trace back all the way right. to my childhood moments of anxiety. And I didn't know what they were. I just know sometimes I would get really upset about something or I would have a mm-hmm. physiological reaction to something like being late or a stressor. And I my, my reaction wasn't appropriate, but at the time I didn't realize mm-hmm. it wasn't appropriate. Mm-hmm. I didn't even realize what an overreaction it's not an overreaction. It's a response so, to your your situation and your body's response and anxiety. Well, the people right. around me thought it was an and overreaction. That's very important. So let me yeah, just say that. And so, first of all, thank you, thank you, thank you for your vulnerability, for your willingness to say, I've been to therapy and this is what it was like for me. And this is what I felt about me. And, you know, always am amazed at the 
um, individuals, you know, and this includes me, that can just openly say, I have suffered, I have really struggled. And what I know to be true is that when we're seeking help, when we're putting ourselves out there, even if we are scared to death, we are speaking for ourselves and saying, I know I deserve better than this. Might not yet believe that we can feel better, but we know we deserve it. And so I'm so, so proud of you and to anyone who's ever sought help in any way. It's just a beautiful expression to me of, of loving yourself. So, you know, I really like how you put that out there, Gail. All of it's true, right? And I think, first of all, I encourage you, if you really are feeling that this is like I can't get my head above water. I just, I don't know if I can put two thoughts together like you mentioned, Gail. I don't know if I can do this. If you're feeling that way, you don't have to do yeah. it by yourself, right? Like see a therapist. If you don't like that therapist, go to another therapist. Um, you know, keep looking around. Go to members of your church if you attend a church. Go to your friends. Make sure that who you're going to is somebody that feels emotionally safe to you. Um, but regardless, get it out. And of course, I'm going to be biased to see a licensed counselor uh, while you do that because they are trained. We are trained in that. Mm -hmm. Can I add one thing right there? Mm -hmm. I, th I think it's important that we tell our stories. And that's part of what we're doing is in Midlife mm -hmm. Moxie. I'm going to talk about the blood running down my leg. I'm going to talk about, there goes Ranger. He wants to talk. I'm going to talk about the terrible clots and cramping. I'm going to talk about the anxiety disorder. Because our goal here is that no other woman right. come into this season and think she's the only one. So That's right. if you're able to tell your story, women, I think it's important, especially with your your close group of friends. And I'm going to mute out while Ranger Yes, so beautiful, talk, Gail. And, continue. you know, there very little times that I've shared my story and not had someone going, oh, wow, and then and have something that resonates with them about that. And that's what we're here for is to support one another. So, yes, I think sometimes we can be so, so, so busy. We're busy, 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 and that we lose ourselves, right? We're Like you mentioned, Christina, we're in that sandwich generation. We're taking care of parents. Mm -hmm. We're taking care of kids. We're taking care of pets. Yeah. We're taking care of everybody. Yeah. And we, we start to lose ourselves, and that, that, and I really love how Gail highlighted, you know, going back into childhood, there were these instances that she could remember in hindsight. The same is mostly true for anybody who has a diagnosis of anxiety, right? Short of having a one-time trauma that they're responding to. Yeah. Most of us that have had yeah. a generalized anxiety um, or anything under that umbrella can go backwards. Even if it's hindsight, we can look at it and say, this was that response. Now, the way people responded to us, like Gail shared also, like that's an overreaction or that's a, then we begin these layers of shame. I shouldn't feel this way. I sh I'm weird. I'm yeah. odd. You know? Yes. Right. We're not Christian enough. I was enough. not nice You're to not others. woman enough. You're not <laughs> yeah. something enough. Right? And, mm -hmm. and no, you know, I'm... There's no ill will mm. that I'm sending towards our parents or to any other figures that may have reiterated that message. Yeah, you know, that they did the best they could also. But still the message is there. And being able to unwire all that shame of the messages we feel that we should be is step one, right? And being able to say, okay, this is where I am with that. Now the other side of it Right. We know especially when you have somebody like me who has prior 
prided themselves on handling things and been the handler for your family to now feel like Christine is just about to bust out laughing. She's like, cause she knows me to suddenly not be able to, or a fear that you're not going to be seen as that person. That is, you know, we don't want to admit that. We just say the least, because a lot of people I think that come to a place of anxiety are those high achieving, hundred percent, get it mm-hmm. done. You know, absolutely. The people that absolutely. it really matters, things really matter. Well, that really well, just wait, feeds that anxiety. You're, but you're, but you're also putting that other that other label on yourself too, right? So you're putting on the label for yourself while other people are putting on this other label on you. So you have these things coming at you. And so you're, you're feeling it from both ends. From, well, if I can no longer do you, what I've done, if I can no longer right. be the handle it person in my family, my job, my friends, if I, if I, who am I now? Right. Am I the same right. person? Exactly. It's exactly it. So there's, there's probably, I mean, I would venture to say at least, in my experience, that that feels a little uncomfortable. That feels a little anxious. That feels a little like uh, on un, unsteady ground because for so long you operated in this fashion, and now you have to go. Okay, wait a minute. I for me I'm, too, I'm a lot of it was not point. knowing what to do because I'm an right. action taker, and I look up and figure out what needs to happen, and then you just do that and take care of it. And right. when my anxiety overtook me, I didn't know what to do. I, I well, honestly did not know what ask, to do, and I couldn't just get out a to do list and fix it. So, 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 Liz, tell us, you know, because that that was one of my questions. Tell us what can someone do when they're faced with this? You know, I know we talked about therapy, but like in the moment when you are feeling at at least for me, this is me feeling at my lowest and knowing like, okay, how do right. I move myself out of this so I can it's get a wonderful on the phone question. with my therapist, you know, because sometimes that's hard, right? Well, before, to we even do that, go there. before we mm-hmm. do that, can we back up to what the signs might look like? What, what? Yeah, let's, let's go there I, and then let's I, talk about like, what do we do? A lot of people do? don't know what anxiety is. They don't know what they're feeling. or They just know something feels different or I feel a little weird, but they can't. So what, what right? So I think in general, people think of anxiety as nervousness, right? And that's that's I'm going to use the word easiest. That's the easiest for us to label for ourselves. Like, okay, I'm I'm just worried about things all the time. I'm worried about this. I'm worried about that. We're pretty clear what that means. And there now, that doesn't mean that it's easy to feel that. There are times when we're worrying, and it's like I cannot turn it off, right? But then there are other parts of anxiety that we don't we're not as familiar with as being anxiety and that's um feeling irritable you know being very very irritable very snappy a lot of times anxiety disorders um having that irritability is part of it in fact it's one of the diagnosable things that go with it muscle tension um phys- physical symptoms which again i think mm. one of the ones that we're most familiar with or those that we are are um racing heart. Some that we're not as familiar with are sweaty palms, nausea. Um, Sometimes you'll see people's vision or you'll hear about people's vision. So I've worked with someone who they felt the aisles, the the side walking in the store, they felt like the aisles were coming in closer and closer to them. You know, it's like a visual um, 
a visual thing that happened with them. Wow. What about the flare? For me, I would feel mm-hmm. this almost like somebody just lit a match to my chest. Yes. So there can be definitely move across sensations. towards the outside. And if, it, if you, you know, know where the heart is too. I mean, that's that heart that's beating fast right through there. Um, some people want to sleep all the time. Some people can't sleep. You know, so we're difficulty concentrating. You know, a lot of times, uh, particularly younger people are diagnosed with ADHD. They may legitimately have ADHD, um, but not being able to concentrate, not being able to focus is also a sign of anxiety disorder. And so not being able to make a decision, decisions that you feel like, and I'm going to use this in air quotes, should know to make, like what brand peanut butter do I want to buy right now? I mean, you know, it's the kind of decisions that you didn't take too long on in the past. So you're looking at Right. Small decisions become big decisions. Oh my gosh. One that you didn't mention. I'm feeling that right now, you guys. Like, went to the store yesterday, Home Depot, trying to make a decision on a rack. Like, yeah. And so, you know, the brain is flooded. The brain is absolutely flooded with cortisol, (laughs) with all the things. And our frontal lobe is the part that makes these decisions. That prioritizes our time, that says, this is what I need to do here, turn right here, turn left. And when all of that gets flooded with stress hormones and with, um, sometimes we call it going limbic. Limbic is the part of the brain that was the lizard brain, where you're just in survival, right? Just going limbic, I'm in survival. I don't give a damn about the rack. So I have to stop. Well, you know. Because I'm surviving right now. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, there's, I'm just trying to brush my teeth. Now, Liz, there was one you didn't mention that I've noticed is significant for me, and I've noticed it in some of my friends, and it's what I call, and it's, I know this is not the doctor term, but runaway thoughts. And by that, I mean a thought What are you starts, talking about, Gail? Yeah, yeah, Christina. <laughs> no, I'm just Christina and I diagnose each other daily. I know that's not allowed and not legal but but like for instance here's here's a scenario that would happen for me we would be packing for vacation and packing the car and we would be late leaving and because we were late leaving we we're gonna be late getting to the destination if we were late getting to the destination we were gonna miss something and if we missed something that was gonna ruin the entire vacation because I had planned the perfect vacation so that 10 20 30 minutes late leaving now has become the entire vacation's ruined even though it's seven days at Disney World I mean it's and I have another friend, and I use the language with her. Okay, the train needs to return to this station. You've run it all the way down the rails, and that was inappropriate. So bring it back to the station because she does the this and then this. And no, then, it's a very a natural, natural part. part in of fact, anxiety, I'm... or have I just made that one up? Now, so we're going to stick with runaway thoughts. You're, you're going to start telling your Listen, patients. Listen, Gail, you know me well enough. I make like up my words. Little... I make up a lot of sayings sometimes. What was that little wooden train um, kids had? What was that? Uh, Thomas the train? Thomas. I imagine you, Thomas, if you were really a big Thomas aficionado, you had the little changing station where the trains backed mm-hmm. in and rotated. And that's it's what I imagine. It's a beautiful metaphor. The trains are It's actually very, very station. perfect. Because, yes, I, I would 100% say that that is aligned with, again, it's about what's the flavor of this anxiety, right? And so we 
a, one person's flavor is that their brains leave the station and they have now gone 15,000 steps, you know, or stops away. And, and it's all gloom and doom because of this one. Which I know it was tied into my perfectionism and my desire that this has to be. And if this right. is perfect, so then I'm I call good. that type. I'm enough. Right. I play in the so perfect some of that's vacation. what I've, um, what I call tight rope thinking. And I've, I've read this in a book somewhere too. It's, um, so if you imagine walking on a tightrope, right, you're having to be very balanced. Every single bit has to be perfect on that, or you're going to fall off into the abyss. Anxiety thinking is tightrope thinking like that, because like Gail said, one mistake, one, we're 10 minutes late, the seven day vacation to Disney World is now ruined. That's tightrope thinking, right? Like I've got to, I'm not allowed to make any mistake here or the whole thing's gone. And in reality, we have like a whole road or trail to walk on, right? Like we can walk back and forth and, and zigzag and, and not fall into the abyss that our brain thinks that we're going to fall into. Some of this goes back to, you know, being chased by tigers, right? Like it's evolutionary, right? That people, if they heard yeah. a roar, I yeah. might actually die because there's a tiger chasing me. That is not my reality. I don't think it's y'all's reality. I don't think it's our listeners' reality either. But in our genetic makeup, there's that history of that. And this everything is treated like our survival depends on it. So somewhere in our subconscious, being late to leaving, Disney World trip, you know, not going the way I want it to go, I'm not good enough, my survival's threatened. Even if we aren't consciously thinking those thoughts, it's what our subconscious begins to right. feel is true. Also, where what do we identify with? As Gail shared, there was this identity there, perhaps, in perfectionism or good enough or and isn't that common for us women we think we have to produce a perfect vacation for the family and I will be good enough and I will be a good mom and my children will love me more I can tell you I produced the perfect Disney vacation and it did not evoke that result just in case you're wondering (laughs) so just go ahead and don't go there but okay so We've identified midlife women are at risk here for this kind of overtaking them. So, so let's talk, oh, thank well, you. let's talk about the yeah. tips. Like, what, well, what, what let's is, talk about about when does it become a problem? Like, what is you know we all get nervous about things. We all feel stressed. Mm-hmm. We all go through seasons. When. I mean, I'm for everybody having a therapist. I think you should have a dentist. You should have a medical doctor. You should have a therapist. Insurance should cover it. The deductible should not be freaking different. And, you know, I think it should just be something we do before we Well, let me ask you a question, Gail. If you could have done it different, and you've shared so openly here, um, would you have gone into counseling any sooner? Knowing what I know now, absolutely. And had that have been easier, um, you know, let's just be clear. I, I knew you and that made it easier. I knew you personally, just in, in you know, being transparent here. That made it an easier step because there was already trust there. And I knew you mm-hmm. liked you and you weren't going to do anything bad to me. And there was, we were in a mutual friend group, so there was a lot of trust. So I yeah. think if we... 
I'm not even sure how to say this. If we maybe break down some of the barriers between therapist, psychologist, psychiatrist, and just regular community and make therapy more normative. And also, you know, for a lot of us, like we have, I know my insurance, the way it works is anything involving mental illness, including my son's ADD visits, have a different deductible than our medical care, which I think is total. That's just, just, yeah, well, it's very just bullshit. That's broken. So that's broken. Getting good, you know, let's all be clear. There's good therapists and there's sucky therapists. And I think, you know, the trust has to be there, being able to find therapists more openly, being able to not feel like you're squandering your family's resources because it adds up, you know, if you need it to does. go weekly and you're talking, I mean, about a hundred dollars a pop, that's pretty fair to say, right, yeah. Liz, for most people, hundred, hundred and twenty-five dollars yeah. yeah. a pop. Now, you know, you're looking at, if your insurance is not covering it, $500 a month. For a lot of people, that's Absolutely. a significant mm-hmm. amount of money in your budget. So I think most midlife women putting everyone else first, you know, does the child need therapy? Does the dog need therapy? Yes. Does the dog need to go to the doggy <laughs> the dog. dentist? I mean, my dog needs to go to the dog dermatologist right now, y'all. I'm not even kidding. So we put everybody else first right. and we don't go until it becomes a crisis and I have to. And so you combine all that. I don't know that I felt like there was a stigma I just didn't know if I felt like it was valuable mm-hmm. enough to take the time. I love the mm-hmm. tele-doc situation for therapy. I think that gets more people involved. I think we can do it less expensively, mm-hmm. too, when people like you don't have to rent a fancy office and, you know, all those things. So that's just kind of. Well, you know, he- here's here's my story, Gail. I, I started therapy at, <laughs> at the age of 12. I think it was what, are 12. Are rich? No. No, no, my parents, well, She's my parents Californian. were, that's it. I'm in, in the uh, South. you know, in California, <laughs> in California, everybody's in therapy, girl. I, think um, <laughs> I do think there is something to, you know, in the deep it, South, that's not, it, especially it you it's get it's outside it. of bigger cities and it's like, oh, you're going to one of those quacks, you're going to the shrink next door. That's yeah, a whole nother show. There's definitely a stigmatism, but like I will, uh, I will, or stigma around it. Um, but I know like. There were there were seasons in my life, and I'm really grateful to my parents that they they thought it was a good idea. Now, did I like it at at twelve? No, I thought this is crazy. Like, why do I have to do this? This is like really weird. Um, but you know what? It set the pace. It set the pace for me. So I when that. I got older, yeah, I know. was like. Yeah, this Christina, is, I took my kids to therapy. When I went through yeah. my first divorce, I took my first child to therapy. There you go. See, and I took my, my son. second son started having trouble with ADD and stuff, I was mm-hmm. super proactive. I remember walking in Absolutely. and saying, I want him to get the help before he really needs it so that he can be mentally right. healthy. So it's interesting that I put all that first, but I thought I myself should just freaking handle it. Yeah. Well, I think because so many times, and Liz, you can, you can talk about this. You you probably see this in your practice is that, you know, women, like Gail said, we're always the last to take care of ourselves. Mm -hmm. You know, we want to, we want to take care of everybody else first, but the reality is, is that we need to be able to take care of ourselves so that we could pour out and be better for the people around us. Um, And I think the more we do that, 
the more people will be like, hey, you know what? Therapy is a good idea because they're seeing you change and then in your household things will change and so on and so forth. You know, one I would of love things- to say more. Yeah. Um, like we go to Bible studies, if you're a Christian, probably you do that. But there's a little bit of stigma there because you can only yeah. tell so much of your garbage in Bible study. I mean, face <laughs> it, that ain't, that ain't the place to unload your shit to everybody because <laughs> you got to uphold the Oh, come image. on. So we as women have had support. Right. Circles, so let me but I felt like interject really quick because I, I just can't like help myself went. anymore. There's a yeah. societal mm. piece to this that we can't ignore. So I don't wish no, to create a go. platform where we shame women even more, right, for not taking care of ourselves. That is certainly something that we have to own. We're not victims. We are empowered. Right. We can be empowered by getting our own physical, mental, spiritual help in whatever way, shape that looks like. And society is also kind of uh, it, right. by its nature fueling this train <laughs> to use Gail's metaphor, right? Like they're, they're society, TV, they're expecting everything from us too. So we have to take ownership that we must get the support that we need and we must begin normalizing that so society can begin to pick up on that also. That women are fundamental. Absolutely. You know, talking about groups, Liz, I would like to normalize it because I think we've talked about this a lot about women being pitted against each other and that competitiveness that has been used by other segments of society to keep women in lesser places and keep them weaker. I think we've seen that in mental health too. And that's why we don't go to Bible study and air our crap. We're even sitting in Bible study. We've got that competitive protection. She's not safe because she's the competition mindset deep inside of us that doesn't allow us. And I would love, like you said, what I would do differently. I would love if we, and you know, really our families and friend groups should be some of this, but we're not able to talk more transparently and be open about our struggles without being the crazy person in the room. Cause you know what happens? People either <laughs> hold it all in or you've got the one person that tells way too so, much. So like, oh, I totally agree, Gail. Karen's and knowing that there are some, <laughs> you know. I mean, I can think of some friendships um, and some, some people professionally also that, you know, it's, it's their story too, right? They weren't ready yet to share with friends. They weren't ready yet to share in that intimate place. And so it's, it's all okay, right? Like whatever, yeah, I think you're True. extroverted, Gail. I'm very extroverted. I'm going to assume Christina is just talking to her for a little bit, right? And so we're, we're extroverted people, which means that we're going to receive energy. We're going to feel fulfilled by sharing and externalizing and, and, and having that come mm-hmm. back to us. A hundred percent agree that telling our story, communicating it, getting it out of our brain, pulling it out and putting it somewhere serves introvert or extrovert but if you're an introvert and you're going it's not because i think people will judge me it's just that i'm not ready yet that's okay too go talk to a counselor where you have legal you know you are protected by the law Mm -hmm. you can there are things that people when i say threaten their survival right i mean we're talking about significant Mm -hmm. things that they are so afraid to share. They're so afraid to say these things out loud because they think their whole world will come crumble. I don't want time to run out without addressing yeah. what we can do in the now yeah. when we're anxious. So make sure we circle back to that, Christina, because I didn't earlier. 
Yes. I, well, I think it'll be, I think it, it's really important for people to know, you know, if it, because like Gail said, you know, it is expensive. I, I'm not going to sit here and say it's not expensive. My husband and I, we both do therapy to, to this day. You know, Good we started um, couples therapy before we went into our marriage and we have continued. And my husband does. I know. I'm, I'm always telling my husband Sorry, on things, right? Like airing my husband's laundry Out here. Kev over there. No, but, <laughs> no my but, husband you know, has been to therapy too. You know, my husband had yeah. a near death experience where he actually stopped breathing on a, on a long run. Well, and my husband is not a nervous, anxious person. Like I'm, I'm running on high at all. You know, it's no surprise. I finally crashed the train, <laughs> but my husband. After Absolutely. that happened, experienced some anxiety from that PTSD situation. So mm-hmm. I think for some of us, it brews and some of us is caught on. Okay. Just one more question before you tell us what we can do, what to look out for when we really need to seek help, what to do. But I just want you to mention, because Thank I think you. we would Thank be you, remiss Gail. if we are Absolutely. There's a genetic you know, component to this. It's If you have a family history of breast cancer, right, if your aunt has it, your grandmother, I mean, you have a higher likelihood of having Mm -hmm. breast cancer. Um, If if everybody in your family has brown hair, you have a higher likelihood of having brown hair. I mean, the genetics absolutely play a role. And the tricky part is, is did our ancestors know about it? Right. And so sometimes even in therapy, when I'm exploring going through the genetics, it's they, you know, it's like, well, aunt so-and-so was always a little off or, you know, some this or that, but they may not have had the diagnoses and that's okay. But if you can look through your family and you think, yeah, there, there are these traits there. Yeah. And even if you're, what you're experiencing isn't just like that, but you are have a higher likelihood of experiencing mental health issues than somebody who doesn't have that in their family. And for me, it was like looking back and seeing how people um, mishandled emotion. Mm, yep. Mishandled yep. anger, mishandled disappointment or stress. Mm-hmm. It, mm-hmm. it didn't have a label. It didn't have a name. You know, those people that lived through depression weren't going to therapy, but seeing how they handled those things that you knew. Well, actually, you didn't know it was inappropriate until you were grown and got around some other people. You just thought it was normative. Right. Um, well, when you start to get healthy, right, you mm-hmm. you start to recognize, right. oh, wow, they have that same thing that I have. It huh. may express itself differently because I have learned over the years, right. I finally right. realized a close family member well, more than one, but one in specific that I never felt like I had much kinship with of our personality or behaviors. I, once I got myself in a place where I understood more about my anxiety, I started to see that their behaviors were anxiety in a different way, manifesting Mm. in a different way. And that allowed me to have more empathy Mm -hmm. and more patience with that person to see they're suffering with the same thing as me. Also a better relationship with that mm-hmm. person too, right? We because we could talk about it. Right, right. You know, one of the things that I'll say about, um, you know, with the anxiety, I am claustrophobic. A lot of people know that. Um, and my dad was claustrophobic. And my uncle is claustrophobic. My sister is a little claustrophobic. It is 
a thing, like a really big thing. If I'm in an elevator and there are too many people, I start to panic and I look at everybody and I'm like, you can't get on here. My eyes get really big. And, you know, what I have learned is this is my thing. This is not their thing. I need to remove myself and I need to recognize that I am in an anxiety-driven, heightened state, remove myself so that other people can feel like, okay, this is not about me. This is about her and move on with their day. So it's interesting that you said that there's a genetic component to this because I have noticed that as you have, Gail, with, you know, getting a little bit healthier, recognizing people's situations, knowing that, oh, hmm, you got that similar thing that I got going on. And it makes for a better relationship, I think, with people mm-hmm. in general. It certainly changed how I felt about that person. Some of my right. anger turned into empathy and was able to bring it up and say, do you think you struggle with this? And they're like, oh yeah. And now we were bonded in a area and I thought we had zero. Yeah. yeah, Commonality. I thought we had zero commonality, but Liz, we actually are going to let you talk. We do like to let our guests have at least, you know, 10% (laughs) of the hour. There is so much to say. We've been all over the place here today. Uh, I think there's so much to say about this, but yeah. So what, what does should when when is it an mm-hmm. issue? What should people look out for that? So flag, first of all, thank you, thank you, thank you. First zone. of all, you know, what, try to what, go what get do? some um, some support before we're at red flag. That's that's my right. Like so, if if you can, if you can't, and it hasn't registered, which for me, Gail, it was the same thing. I mean, I, I was also in counseling younger as a child. Um, you know, that was because I was told to go is equally as weird and kids to get counseling. I know. Right. Man, y'all are lucky. My parents were <laughs> suck <laughs> it up, buttercup. Right. There's nothing. I remember, and so my mom said once, she you know, said, but there's I, nothing I mean, wrong with you. Postpartum is Just when it really book. slammed into yeah. me. I mean, really <laughs> slammed into me. And, um, so absolutely. Yes. Right. Mm. Which is, again, right. sleep deprivation, which and you know, there's a reason why they use that with you two things, more. hormones and um, situation. So the, it's okay, in other words. I mean, the number oh, one yeah. thing, if you take anything away, is that, you know, let's release shame. Let's release judgment on ourselves and just, you know, get support. If you can, don't wait till a crisis. There's so many of us, you know, and Gail, you shared some of this, too, that we think, you know, this is isn't that big of a deal for me to go, you know, spend money on or take an hour out to do this or whatever it may be, then say it out loud to a safe person, safe friend. I have sometimes told us, said something out loud Mm -hmm. and seen my friend's faces. Like if you could see me, my eyes are really big. My mouth's open. I mean, they're like, Oh, that seems like a big deal. You know, sometimes it can be really validating, you know, if your personality types like mine and tend to minimize what I'm experiencing, to have a safe person say, that's a lot, Liz. That's a lot. And like, oh, yes, it is a lot because I haven't let that register yet. So at the minimum, Mm -hmm. if you feel like I could use some extra support, life feels like a lot. um, Definitely go seek support. Please do.
What kind of things do um, we hear you mean as a friend supporting that another are person? Might be indicators like, yeah, I can't handle this. Yeah, like what might you hear of women? Of course, not true. I'm the most likable person that is, right? Or I'm fine. Everything is fine. But (laughs) fine, fine, right? We have a a saying for what fine means. It's effed up, insecure, neurotic, and exhausted. (laughs) Right. So, well, that's my mother all the time. (laughs) I'm fine. Well, I mean, I just think there's there's some signs, some things we're saying. Like if you're hearing yourself say, "I just can't handle this anymore," or you know, "I just really don't know what to do anymore." I just can't take anything right. else. If you're increasing right. your alcohol consumption, if you're withdrawing Absolutely. from activities you normally love, because we do know there's a high relation, a, a deep relationship between anxiety and its sister depression. Um, right. And one of those relationships is that sometimes we have coped with anxiety for so long, it begins to manifest into depression. So one of the things I will sometimes draw this out for clients, sometimes we have two trees. Right. So we have the tree of anxiety and we have the tree of depression. And they're both what we call comorbidity. They're both Mm -hmm. very much genetically there. Sometimes when I'm working with someone and we really move through it, there is just one tree trunk here and it has been anxiety and all the flavors of anxiety. And it has totally zapped our adrenals and it's fatigued our whole system. And now it's moved straight into depression. So if you imagine a rock on the ocean, right? You may be going see that rock in that same place your whole life, but eventually that the waves pounding on it begin to wear it down and wear down, down, down. Mm. So, you know, there when I you love get into the that asking us, you get right. into that feeling if of you helplessness. feel helpless, if you feel hopeless, if you feel like you're having thoughts, a lot of us have thoughts that we would never say out loud to someone else and that we would never act on, or we don't even really believe is true. So I may have a thought. I've had thoughts before that say, you know, no, nobody likes me. That's where I'm joking in some of that, but I have this thought. You're awesome. That's so beautiful. Sometimes for me, it's like, I just want to run away. I just want to run away. Oh, mine is like, I want to drive off of the the bridge right there. I'll just drive off and it'll be fine. Like, and you know, (laughs) Gil is like, oh my gosh. No, I know what you mean. I know what you mean. You don't mean that you want to die. What you mean is you want the current situation to stop. Yes. And you have a therapist and you're doing it. But yes, Mm -hmm. but I'm so glad you said that out loud because there's so much fear that we have, right? I've sometimes had a mental image come to me of just like cutting myself. And it's Mm -hmm. like a a picture that would come to my mind. The more you learn about yourself, absolutely. The more you, so now, if I were to have that image come to my mind now, it's the same as if I have a sniffle or a little bit of drainage. I know "Mm, I might have a cold coming on or is this allergies? So I begin to pay attention to that symptom and then figure out what I need to do with that symptom. If I have Mm -hmm. this thought that I want to run away and Gail, it's a great question. What do you hear from other people? I Mm -hmm. hear that a lot from women. Like I just want to run away for a little bit and go off the grid and not come back. Right. That that's one of the things that you'll hear. Yep. Right. And what I'd offer then is that we have to have our version of that. Exactly. What that may mean is 30 (laughs) minutes off the grid, depending on, you know, what your responsibilities are. You know, people with young kids can, cannot even take 30 minutes. Right. But what can I just, how can I do what I really am craving doing right now without 
you know, really going far, far away. But that's one thing you'll hear. You'll um, you'll also see other things, you know, somebody who may be chronically late, um, which I mean, I also have ADHD too, so there may be that piece of it. But if they're doing a lot of that um, negative self-talk, you know, if you're talking to your friends that you know really well and they're just like, God, I'm so stupid or da-da-da-da-da, and it's a shift that you haven't noticed as much for them, then yes, there's reason to dive into that. But going, I mean, absolutely, if you are having thoughts that even resemble something like I want my life to end or I don't want it to be this way, even if you can say, Liz, I would never, ever act on that. I believe you. I believe you. And it's still symptom enough to let's let's go yeah. see if the, what we can yeah. do about it. It's still indicative of how you're feeling right. and how serious right. and how significant the feelings are. I think also seeing our friends who may be dependent on alcohol, they're going home every day and drinking two glasses. A There's whole a bottle? reason for that. Yeah, I more mean, and more. Um, I, I remember those days. If they're pulling yeah. back from all the things they used to be involved in. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and I'm going to encourage, make sure you have people in your life that you are transparent enough with that they innately know when something's wrong. Cause when I was at one of my lowest <laughs> points, I remember our mutual friend, Liz, I won't name her here cause she didn't agree to be on this episode. She's been on another episode, but she came over to my house one day just to kind of sit and visit. And she called yeah. someone at my church on the pastoral team. And she called my husband. She said, she is not okay. And you know, a mm. lot of us, we can fake that and we will fake that. Like I could have, probably faked some people off, but have people in your life that you know enough and trust enough to let them see you at that moment. Yeah. And you can be completely real with, cause that's important. There may be a day that that makes all the difference. There may be a day that that does save you from those thoughts going farther. And that know, are going or, to advocate for you. Know, you that may be the really difference what I'm hearing and also knowing the person that you're referencing, or not realizing. Shaming. And there's so much of that in yes. religion. And there's so That's much, right. you know, that we're not Christian enough. We need to pray. There was no if somebody shame at begins all. to assist you and their way of assisting you is mm-hmm. something that you're doing wrong, like you're not you're not doing something enough, praying enough, believing enough, something enough then thank them very much. And, you know, you find some other, other support, but who, right. This person did not tell me to do anything. She called in resources. And that's the other thing. You're not going to have the answer. If you're not a professional, that's don't right. try to handle that's these right. things, but you can point your friends in the right direction and you can bring help to them. And she said, is it okay if I call? this person. And I said, okay, because by then I was just so broken. And you, a lot of people really don't know what to do or where to start. They don't know if they need a therapist, a psychologist, a psychiatrist, their regular medical doctor. And for some of us, it's a combination because I did go on an anti-anxiety medication, just going to declare it to the world. And what that did was it autumn, it, it, it evened out my, the chemicals in my brain to allow my emotional self to do the work and catch up to that. And so right. I don't want Absolutely. to, if you need medication to help you, great. You get that medication. There's no shame in that. And let's learn to ask our friends. I, I kind of want to end here. Um, 
let's make it normative to ask our friends, are you okay? And I know I'm Christina and I've had those conversations. Yeah. And Gail, let me, let me just say this. I, I, I absolutely love my friend Gail over here. There's, there's some people in my life that I, um, absolutely adore and I hope I don't cry. So I just know that it means the world to me when somebody sees that I'm in pain, when somebody can sit next to me and, you know, hold my hand or just listen. And sometimes I'm like, Gail, are you there? She's all, I'm just listening. And I'm like, okay. And I'm not good at that. So, <laughs> <laughs> but, but in, in the tough moments you are, and, and I think that is a, a testimony to your healthiness, you know, and, and if we had more people, that would normalize, like we're doing here at Midlife Moxie, normalizing these conversations about it's okay. It is okay to say, I am not well today. And I'm going to need you to just give me a second. Or I'm not well today. Could you just could you just listen without... And I love that because we talk you know, about using your words. That's one of our favorite yes, things here. You're yes, not a talker, oh, yes. use your words. If you're not yep, well, absolutely. say you're not well, or at least have yeah. some people in your life that you can say that to and yes. have people in your life, like if Christina seems off, I will say, are you okay? And because mm-hmm. I know she's been handling a lot lately, we need those kind of people to notice when we're off and ask the question in a non-threatening, like you said, Liz, non-accusatory, non-shaming kind of way. And I'm, I'm thankful because I think you would ask me, Liz, I mean, professionally, or just if we were kicking it at lunch. And I know Liz <laughs> is so like, she doesn't know what to do with me. I think I'm one of the few people that's like, no, I want you to be my therapist and my friend. We're going to do both of <laughs> things. And she's like, well, I'm like, no, we're being friends, like it or not. <laughs> it's, it's not the shrink next door. It's going to be better. But um you know, we have a mutual friend and I and also listen to those people in our say lives. You're not okay. you know, so the other so part of that to too, another sign is if you are having people that you love and trust come to you and say, I'm just, you haven't been acting yourself. And I can say, you know, again, postpartum, my husband, my mom was severely depressed postpartum, suicidal postpartum. Um, so we were already mm. on alert, you know, what, you know, this is genetics. Let's mm, pay attention to this. Mm. And while I knew I was crying and a lot, and I knew I was having weird thoughts like snakes coming out the window to get my baby and that maybe those weren't normal thoughts, right? It was still difficult to hear, you know, from my husband. I think now's the time for us to to look into some extra help. And so I just want to applaud both your friend, Gail, sure. that is so loving and supportive of you without judgment and without telling you what you need to be doing, but also applaud you because receiving that can be very difficult for our egos and just say, it's okay. Absolutely. Right. Especially as high achievers who mm. seem to be the most afflicted. And again, after you well can't, that's a part of depression. If you get to the point where you, you can probably handle shit, your anxiety, you usually give a shit. <laughs> you don't it's probably time to start talking to someone. So, you know, bottom line, what we're looking for is if you, are, if you aren't yourself, if you are not yourself and you know that oh, there's yeah. a, a different version of you in there, a 
version that was happier and freer. It's it's time to seek support, and if that can be in friendship. I think the word we hear a lot is lost ourself. If we've lost ourself or lost, lost our ability to do something that we used right. to do, those kind of things, to smile. If you're laughing less, if you're having, if you're not enjoying things like you used to be, that lost word always comes up for me. But now, Liz, I want to, I want to, this is our absolute last thing for our listeners that are going, y'all are going long today. It's important. And there are, I want everybody to know there are resources available that you may not know about. And, um, one of the things I want to put out there is employee assistance program. If yes. you have a group insurance yes. program, you probably just skimmed over all those random benefits at the end. You looked at your <laughs> office visit, your hospitalization and the deductible and you said, okay, there is a benefit in most people. If you have a yeah, group insurance so, policy and a, for and a lot of times it's free EAP. If you're not help. sure you Liz, have it, you go to HR, on look that? in your paperwork, like Gail said, so funny, I just had somebody recently in my family mm-hmm. um, say, I just discovered, and I mean, this person founded the business that they work <laughs> They're the founder. Uh, I just discovered we have a employee assistance program where I can get counseling for free. <laughs> right, right. So for the most part, um, you know, it doesn't mean forever well, and ever. don't know it's what that means. Be free, so, so tell people know that. what that means. Um, but it is a supportive a way that businesses are supporting you in your mental health. And it means that you can utilize your EAP. They will typically have certain providers that you go to for that. If there's somebody that you want to see or a particular gender that you want to see or location, you can still ask um, your employee, your HR or through the employee assistance program. Um, can I get a special contract with this provider? So I have definitely filled out paperwork as a therapist myself or somebody really wanted to see a female. There was only a couple of people on their list and they were both male or something. It's worth mm-hmm. a try. Always advocate for yourself. What I didn't understand, it was Ask for Lucy. any. Thank you, Gail. It's yes. for see, even I family dynamics. It could, it's not related yes. to the employment. Right. It's, it's not, and I thank have, you. I, I, I used to think it was that, work-related yeah, stress. Yeah, I forget that, you know, yeah, this that's is not, my no. line of work and it's my jargon. No, so it I can be for the family that there members, are people who, too, because that's don't what I always understand that. Absolutely. It's, it, yeah, when I read that in my policies, I thought that was relating to work. You you can't handle work well or you're having some problems at work. No, it's for anti I was anything. Gonna you ask can go you for what family therapy. You can go for anything. And Liz, I'm saying a lot of times it's around five visits maybe. Now, a lot of times so what happens normative? is then they will um, ask for another. Sometimes you can ask for another oh. piece of that. Either yeah, way, it doesn't six. matter, right? Like we, you're getting your foot in there. If you're so familiar with therapy that you yes. know – say like myself, I'm a lifelong therapy, right? Like it's, it's going to be, it's so, it's maintenance for me. But if you aren't, then you know the provider you want, whatever it may be, you can go your own direction, contact your insurance company. But if you aren't sure, if you have EAP, utilize it because you get a feel for and you get a conversation with a professional about what your needs are and you get to hear their recommendations. You don't have to do them, but you get to hear what they may recommend for you based on what you're sharing and how they're experiencing that.
and they can show you to other resources if you if money's an issue. They're going to know the resources in your town where you can get free assistance, where you might could get group support or whatever you need. But it's going to let you know, first of all, like for me, walking into Liz's office and her telling me that I'm not crazy. Right. This is a diagnosis. This is common. And this was the magic word. You will be better. Because at that moment, I'm like, I'm never going to be better. I'm damaged. I'm broken. I'm, I'm off the deep end. That you will be better. When a therapist tells you you have something that's fixable, that is so encouraging when you're in that really down place. So, gosh, yeah. we've spent so much time. I could just keep talking, but we have to wrap it up. Liz, thank you so much for your time. It's incredibly valued. Believe me, I know. Um her time is super valuable because she's super busy and has those three sweet babies. And Liz, kudos to you for being that working mom who is yes. puts your babies first, but still has that career. And we love that over here at Midlife Moxie. You definitely have your Moxie going on. And we'd love to have you back again. Maybe talk about depression next time. You willing to come I'd back? Love it. Any any subject we all can talk about, I'd love it. I think you both are great. Thank you for how you're serving everyone by being yourselves, being authentic. I really, I really am grateful for the work that you all are doing. Finally, also breathe. Always breathe. If you're so anxious, you can't call your therapist, breathe. It'll regulate your heart rate. Thank you, ladies, so, so much. I'm so grateful Thank you you. so much. So, Christina, we have some people who help support our program. Who you got today? We do. We have Boobalicious products, you know, that that yucky boob sweat and the downstairs below sweat that happens. Well, we have an amazing affiliate and it is love, L-U-V, boobaliciousproducts.com is where you'll go and find them. And when you type in the word moxie, M-O-X-I-E, you're going to get a little bit of savings. So don't miss out on these fresh and so clean boobalicious products for you and the The girls. girls are luscious lemons today. I put it on this morning and I'm all fresh. Well, we have another offer for you from the great friends over at Walking Cradles. If you're looking for cute yet comfortable shoes that are sized appropriately for real women, and by that we mean four to 13 and all widths so that you can get the size that actually fits, then you have got to go to www.walkingcradles.com slash moxie and check out their selection. They are designed by a woman and they have little pillows of comfort. I just received my first pair and oh my gosh, I'm obsessed. I love these shoes. And so they have generously offered our listeners a 20% discount when you use that link, www.walkingcradles.com slash moxie and then you put in the code word moxie20 at checkout so make sure to go get you some cute and comfy shoes going into the holidays well thanks again to our special guest liz watley and until next time what do we say christina go and get your moxie on bye-bye bye 